Welcome to the Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. This week, I'll be covering Nintendo hardware at Gamescom, E3 is even deader, more Starfield thoughts, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel. Gaming news. This week we have six topics. The first one, the next Nintendo hardware was shown at Gamescom. Maybe. Probably. There's been lots of reporting this week. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this, really. Uh, But supposedly during Gamescom, uh, some developers were privately shown at least a... It could have been like a dev kit for the next Nintendo hardware. Uh, I'll call it the Switch 2 for now because we don't have any idea what it may be called or named. Um, the, the notable thing about this is that one, that means if they have hardware that they're showing this, it probably is coming next year. I think that's still kind of a rumor, but it is starting to seem more likely. Um, the other thing that was interesting is supposedly they were showing off a real time Unreal Engine 5 demo on it, and it was running well. Uh, the demo in question, I, I think I've heard two different things. It was either the Matrix demo they did um, a, a year or two ago. Um, that was really impressive. Uh, or it's the demo that they showed uh, originally on the PlayStation 5, and then it was confirmed to be on the Series X as well. Um, so long story short, it seems like this hardware's you know likely almost done if not done and they'll start production nintendo's weird because nintendo will literally put a it will finish a game and just sit on it for months if not years to release it in just the right window where there's nothing else around it so even with their hardware you know maybe this has been finalized for months or years and they've just They've just now decided that the market is in a spot where they want to release it. So um, it playing an Unreal Engine 5 demo is hopeful. Uh, The Switch was notoriously terrible for um, cross-platform games um, to the point where many cross-platform games had to actually be streamed to the Switch. Uh, What you need to understand about the Switch is it uses all mobile hardware. And uh, and not like laptop hardware that the Xbox One and PS4 used, but literal like mobile hardware. And the and the biggest issue is that even when the Switch came out originally, the hardware it was using was like outdated then, and that was eight years ago. So, what's exciting about this system is it, it, it I believe it has all pretty modern Nvidia tech. So both the graphics and the processing are going to be Nvidia chips which also means that they are likely going to have access to DLSS. Now, that's a really big deal because especially if this thing only has a, you know, eight inch screen or something, and even if you can dock it and its goal is only 1080p, well, DLSS is nice because DLSS can take like a 540p image or or gameplay running at 30 fps and make it look like 1080 running at 60 because of the dlss technology which for you know the xbox or playstation would not be good enough that that, that's their targets their fidelity goals have surpassed that but nintendo's haven't unfortunately it's it, it really should i i really I still am annoyed that Nintendo gets such a pass for this by just being like, well, but we're just little Nintendo. We we can't make good. Gra- we, we don't care about good graphics, which is fine if you don't care about good graphics. 
but they absolutely should care about good gameplay. And if you've looked at any of the really big recent releases, especially this last Pokemon game, um, that should be like that should be unacceptable. And the thing is, is you still see, especially game reviewers and stuff, like fawning over that game because the gameplay is probably great and that's awesome. But like, th there shouldn't be an assumed asterisk for every Switch game where it's like. It's so much fun. It's masterfully made. It also looks like it's running on a toaster, but that's the that's the benefit they get, and that's probably not going to change anytime soon. But this new tech, if they can make 1080p 60fps a standard for the Switch, then that would be really good. It would it would entice people like me to actually want to be interested in it, especially if it means they can do more cross-platform games. Obviously, Nintendo puts out a ton of great first-party games has a ton of great third-party games that come out specifically for their uh, console because third parties will do that because they sell so freaking many Nintendo consoles of every gen except the Wii U basically that they have that power right but it would be good for them to try to be able to pull in uh, the other franchises uh, a few weeks or a couple months ago uh, ea announced that they were making a ps4 and xbox one uh, compatible version of uh, the star wars uh, jedi survivor which blew everyone's mind because at that point the game still didn't run well in the ps5 or the series x and now what the rumor i've seen or heard is that they think that uh, that version may be one that's also going to come out for this new Nintendo hardware because the rumored power goal for the, the new Nintendo console is between the, the PS4 and PS4 Pro or Xbox One and One X. It's, you know, in between there. To me, that's insane. That's still like not enough <laughs> that this, 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 they should at least be a gen behind, not a gen and a half or whatever you would consider that the generations are so muddled right now it's hard to even uh, talk about them but at the end of the day it's not really gonna matter at the end of the day most people are just excited that this hardware was probably seen by someone or multiple people it seems to have the tech it needs to have to compete from a fidelity perspective which enough people care about and that they'll, it's still Nintendo and they'll do their thing. They'll release their Mario games, their Pokemon games, their, you know, all their big hits and they'll sell 30 million copies of them. Maybe not that many for all of them, but definitely some. And they'll keep doing their thing. Um, it's really been interesting how Nintendo has done such a good job of of like kind of rebranding themselves or, or just keeping themselves out of the Sony Microsoft fray. For the most part, they just do their own thing and they just sell twice as many consoles as the others and they and they just do it and they just mind their own business and people complain about their stuff and they don't care. They just keep doing it because people keep buying it like people can complain about the graphics, about you know all these things, but the average switch consumer probably has bought two switches like it's one of those things where it's like, why would they change if the market isn't telling them to? Uh, so maybe that changes with the new system. Maybe they take that part of it more seriously, but we'll have to wait and see. Story number two, E3 and Red Pop have ended their collaboration. So uh, Red, uh, Reed, or is it, I think it's Reed Pop. Um, they are the ones who put on, I believe, PAX. And uh, a lot of people in 2022, including myself, were really excited by this announced collaboration between E3 and Reed Pop that Reed Pop was going to run E3. They do a great job with packs. Everyone seems to love packs. So if they could basically take that energy and then inject the branding and the reputation of E3, it seemed like a big hit. The plans they showed off seemed like a really good idea. There was going to be a uh, like a media wing. There was going to be a fan wing. They were going to have like a bar and stuff in the, in the building. It sounded like it was going to be really great. And then literally in the weeks leading up to it, they canceled. Um, and it was basically, it seems like there was some public and probably private as well, um, uh, jettisoning of, uh, like, I believe it was like Microsoft and Rockstar and Ubisoft and all of the, the, the big publishers that initially seemed like they were going to be a part of this, which is essential, all bounced. And it seemed like they were kind of left with no like headlining, um, uh, 
you know, vendors at the show. And it just seemed like it kind of fell apart. And it, it like broke my heart because, um, I, I know E3 had gotten worse. I went in 2018 and I actually didn't even love the show floor that much. I thought it was fine, but it was more overwhelming than anything for me, but it still represented something. It was still a thing that brought everyone together in the gaming industry. The showcases were still awesome. The Ubisoft one that I went to was great. Uh, the Microsoft one that year was awesome. And, and, you know, Sony hasn't participated in a long time, but Nintendo, like when the 2018 one Nintendo had, they were there. And Microsoft was like kind of there and it was awesome. And I know in 19, it wasn't quite as good. And then COVID happened and really put the stake in the heart. Um, but it's just, I understand that it wasn't, you know, it's so funny, um, that you'll see, especially the gaming commentators and stuff. And they'll be like, yeah, EA wasn't really, or uh, E3 wasn't really that good anymore, blah, 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 blah. But then they all still call that time of the year E3. Uh, even now when E3 hasn't happened in most of the last few years. Um, and then of course, Jeff Keeley being a pretentious little prick. I'm just so sick of, I'm so sick of this guy. I appreciate the game awards. I think the summer game fest has sucked every year. He's done it. The Gamescom opening night live is awful. Um, the game awards are typically okay, but it's just like, so right after this announcement happened, go figure Jeff Keeley tweets out, Oh, Summer Game Fest happening on this day. Mark, put it on your calendars. And he always does these like petty tweets and a lot of people love them. And I get it. Like, I'm sure if you're on the like E3 hate train or if all of the podcasts you listen to are, then you think what they think and that's what you do. But like, it's so petty. And what's so funny about it to me is that like people see it as like a dunk, but I see it as him still being having extremely low self-esteem uh knowing that people still miss e3 you can tell that it bothers him so much that people haven't moved on from e3 uh, the simple fact that even a bunch of the gaming outlets who dunk on e3 and seem like they're happy it's gone during all of the sgf week talked about said e3 week e3 week e3 week it just constantly it, it cracks me up because i know Anytime he hears people talk about that, it just must crush his, his soul because he thinks he's been anointed the king of gamers. And um, and what's what's so frustrating for me about it is that E3, the ESA who who like owns E3, it sucks. They they are basically a um, a uh, a legis a, a legislation group for game companies. Um, but not for gamers. And so a lot of the things that the, the ESA supports actually kind of suck. Um, and they aren't a good organization, but E3 was always really cool. And so it kind of made up for how much they suck and which made it very corporate, right? Because it was expensive and all the big companies were there. And so it was a very corporate thing. It was obviously just a big advertisement. But what's so impressive about what Jeff Keighley has done with Summer Game Fest and the Game Awards and even Gamescom is that he's managed to make it feel even more soulless and even more corporate. That's why, like, when everyone gets so hyped about the things he's doing, I just don't get it because, you know, they, you know, it is it's all commercials. Like, I'm not delusional that E3 wasn't just a big commercial. It obviously was. But it just felt like it was this, like, week of gaming where there was always something going on and it, and it seemed like they, and, and even from my own experience, like everyone was there together and you know, summer game fest, isn't that, and you've even, I've even heard lots of devs and, you know, journalists talk about how it just feels like E3 at home in a lot of ways. And the actual show is often extremely boring and had and his shows recently have had very few announcements, which may be out of his control. You know, maybe, you know, Microsoft, Sony, all the big companies are revealing all of their stuff at their own shows now. But for me, it's just this constant attempts to dunk on E3 while his own product is subpar at best. And, you know, if you don't know his history, he's, he's definitely a result of nepotism where, his dad invented the IMAX system. And, you know, the, the story is always about how he got in. I think it was with Valve or he started doing game journalism really, really young, uh, like in his teens. But that wasn't just because he was some upstart kid. It was because his dad was hyper rich and well connected in L.A. <laughs> like 
and, and it doesn't take away. I mean, I'm sure he's talented and he's earned his way and he's worked really hard, but like he comes at it with an attitude, like, like he's like this, like trendsetter. And, and, and I think his shows kind of suck. And I think it's interesting that he gets so many flowers from so many, especially game journalists, which I think there's probably some reasoning behind that, but um, they, they see themselves in him, I think, or they, they aspire to be him in some way, uh, even though they don't have the connections he had. And um, his product is not very good, I think. <laughs> and, and I think it, it's getting worse every year. And, and I've seen people be like, oh, yeah, it's really Summer Games Fest is finding its feet and stuff like that. Summer Games Fest was probably the worst summer game show this year. Like the Microsoft show was amazing. The Sony show they put out before was OK. It actually, was kind of bad. I still think it was better than Summer Game Fest. Uh the the ubisoft show was better than summer game fest like which was a big surprise to me and i just um it's it's weird how it's almost like it's like a gaslighting campaign by a lot of the the major like podcast and game journalists and stuff to to like anoint jeff Keeley as king of the gamers with all of this stuff and it's like not very good and and his shows are always like the like gamescom i have i get i know why he does it but he shouldn't. It's awful. It's I think it's terrible for his brand. Uh, the, the game awards are normally pretty good because the awards are interesting to see how they get voted on. Um, but then his shows are always the same. They always have a, a cool opening thing, some OK stuff, some awful stuff. And then sometimes they end up strong, but often they don't. And and his shows are very often full of just like everything's a commercial. I understand that. But his shows are filled with straight up commercials, like straight up, just the same commercials you would basically see on a, a TV channel instead of being at least like, you know, catered content for his show like they would do for E3 and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, and it's so obvious because like during E3, when you would see the Microsoft showcase, like it's all commercials, obviously, but they were made for that showcase where with his show. You, and there are games you probably at least kind of care about from devs you kind of care about where his shows the, the middle of all of his shows are normally games you've never heard of that the majority of people will never care about and they're because they're literally just commercials they someone just paid him a bunch of money to, to be there and um it, it's so predictable at this point that it's like not even that fun or exciting it's just like oh say so let's be excited for the first five minutes we can take a nap for an hour and a half and then maybe the end will be interesting. And that's the other thing is that the, the his shows are, they're so long and they're not long because they have so much cool stuff. They're long because he has to fit in enough funding in the middle to make the whole show happen. But then that kind of makes you think like, well, if it was shorter, would it be so expensive? Like, can't we find a balance here? But oh, that's my Jeff Keighley rant, I guess. Um, but I just, every time he does that, it, it's, it's so like, it's just so it's like weird um, again, because it just it just comes off as so like obviously the people, you know, who love him and stuff like that. Who go, oh, yeah, Jeff Keighley hitting him hard. And, but to me, to, to someone at least like me in my position, to me, it comes off as like, oh, man, E3 lives rent free in his head. And he hates that people still miss it and are pretty vocal about that. As for that 2025 thing with E3, whatever that could be, I have no idea. It's it's hard to tell. Um, it's not probably gonna happen. It's we we already know, and I, because I believe like the LA Convention Center, like the LA board or whatever came out, or like their uh, their uh, tourist board or whatever came out and said that they had canceled their contract with uh, with the ESA for the LA Convention Center. Um, I think for just a few years, it, 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 I think it implied that it'll pick back up. Um, but for me, it almost feels like E3 would be smart to do something just kind of small, um, just small and very focused. And, you know, it doesn't need to be in the LA Convention Center. It can be something different uh, where they convince at least, you know, like Microsoft, Ubisoft, Rockstar or, or 2K or whatever, you know, a, a decent number of the big publishers and platforms maybe Nintendo to say, Hey, we're going to give you each your light. Let, let, let's just do this little thing. And, and then we'll, maybe we can build it from there if it does well. Um, but, but we'll see it's, 
I think even before COVID, but especially COVID just changed the way that game companies do things that unfortunately the E3 that we all or some of us remember is probably gone for good. The third story is Starfield post credits review and thoughts. So I still, I'm still mulling over Starfield. Um, if you watch my spoiler video because you also finished it, then you kind of know where I'm at. Uh, but this will be a non-spoiler thing. Um, when I first started playing the first couple hours, I was enjoying it, but I was like, what is that? Like, this feels weird. Like some stuff doesn't look right. This doesn't, I'm not, I'm not sure how about this opening. And then it opened up and I, I'll be honest that my first impression of the game is like, like this might just be like a seven out of 10, like for me, let me remind you of how I think of ratings, you know? So I think of, uh, if you give a game a 10 out of 10, you're, you're saying that every single gamer should play that game. If you give it an eight, nine, you're saying that like most people are going to be into this. Like most people are really going to enjoy this. Uh, there may be some people who it's not their jam, but, but, but an eight or a nine is like, this is a good game for basically everyone, but maybe not some people. A six or a seven to me is like, Hey, for people who like this genre, who like this aesthetic, who like this developer, who like this, whatever, this is probably a really good game. Like there's going to be an audience that is going to love this six, seven out of 10 game. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone. It definitely won't get be recommended for everyone. If you're not interested already in what it's doing, it's probably not your thing, but it's there. And then from five down, you're looking at games that just aren't very good. And for me, Starfield definitely started off as like a six, seven, like a, if you're already interested in Bethesda games and these open world games and space games, you know, then this is something you'll enjoy for sure. But this maybe isn't the big, the big thing that everyone was hoping it would be. And then I started playing it and it opened up and I did some of the story and I did some of the faction quest and I did some of the side quest and then I rolled credits and then I saw what happens after you roll credits and I decided not to do it. And I saw how the game still continued on in a satisfying way after I didn't do the new game plus, which I won't get into details. I still consider that spoilers at this point. We'll talk about it one day. I promise you can check out my spoiler video uh, that I posted a couple days ago. If you want to uh, see my thoughts on all of it. And then after I've done all of that and I've taken it all in Starfield's a flawed game, a lot of its stuff is feels old, feels like the last gen of gaming. Um, the graphics, the graphics are the weirdest thing to talk about because some of the graphics and some of the environments and some of even the animations and stuff look great, look so good. And then other ones look like they're from like Fallout 4 and some of them probably are. And it's just like your, your brain just really struggles where like, you'll see this, this like, you'll, you'll, you'll see this object and the way it's modeled and textured and, and the lighting has moments where it's beautiful it's so good for being like non-ray traced and for being like baked in lighting or however they're doing it and there's moments where you'll look at stuff and be like this is like even like the characters their animations aren't perfect they're fine but they're like the actual characters like their clothing and all of the objects in the world especially interiors uh, and even some exteriors are just like top-notch looks so good and then you'll see this tree that is obviously just put together with a bunch of flat leaf textures and it's not moving in the wind, even though everything, all of the other plants are all of the other small trees and, and grass. And even though they're just flat textures and they don't look great, that they're, they're, they're waving in the wind a little bit. And then you see these big trees and they just look like statues and they look bad. Like if they looked really, really good and they didn't move, it would be fine. Or if they moved and they didn't look great, that'd be fine. Because it, 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 it just takes you out because you see everything else moving and then you, and they don't move. But but you can't, they can't look bad and not move. And so like those are like some hangups. But the stories, especially the main quest and especially the UC Vanguard, one of the faction quests, as well as a bunch of other stories, the... I think the writing is great. I've seen mixed things on this. Some people think it sucks. It's to me, the people who think this writing is like terrible are people who I don't really think have either given it a chance or have even played that they're just, oh, yeah, Bethesda writing's always been kind of me. So I'm just going to say this one is too, whether I 
Actually, no, we're not. Um, the the romances really surprised me. The, the I, I romance the main character Sarah, who you've seen all the commercials. She does a bunch of the voiceovers, and um, it's weird because it's not a romance. It's not like sexy and horny and and like nuanced as much as like Baldur's Gate three romances, and it's not uh, as like they don't pull you in maybe as much as like uh, the mass effect romances you can do and stuff like that, but they're kind of like their own thing. And they're still, and, and at least the one I did was really good. It moved along pretty quickly, but you go to the point, like in this game, you of one of the four romanceable characters, you can kind of get friendly with them and then you can show interest and then you can start dating and then you can get engaged and then you can get married and that can all happen surprisingly quickly. <laughs> um, and it's not perfect. There's no horny sex scenes in it. Um, and it's all, it does imply a lot of sexuality. Uh, at least the, the, the Sarah character, once you're in a relationship is very suggestive of lots of things. Um, but it doesn't show anything. And honestly, no one really probably wants to see these animations and characters getting it on, but like, it's still the way they wrote the romance, the, the way that, you know, at least the Sarah character is initially very standoffish about, you know, flirting and stuff like that. And then starts to let you in and then lets you know why she was so standoffish. And they have like loyalty missions and her loyalty quest line was awesome. I loved it. It was really good. And it, and, and the things that she would say and watching her character soften and become more open and become more loving and stuff. And then, you know, especially as you get into the later parts of the romance, um, were just really cool. It was, her character is very sweet. I know everyone hates her because she doesn't like you doing bad things. Every review and stream I've seen, they, they all hate that character. But it's, that's just like an image. They're getting clicks and they're doing the immature, like, ooh, girl's bad thing. Um, but when you get into it, some of the things she says are, like, really profound and very touching. And um, what's what, what happens, and, and again, I, I won't go into spoilers, but at least with her romance and I imagine the other ones as well is she starts off as very standoffish and then it's kind of like a colleague thing and then it's a dating thing and then it's a more serious thing and then you're married right and what they do a really good job of are the small things um every time you initiate conversation with her even if it's just to like transfer gear or dump a bunch of gear into her uh, onto her to help you be able to move around uh, every time she you um, initiate conversation, uh, she instead of like a lot of other games like Mass Effect and even Baldur's Gate 3, where once they've run out of new things to say, they literally say the exact same thing every time. Um, instead, there's like four or five things that she can say once they once she's run out of new, you know, progressing the romance or the relationship. And while that is, it still feels stiff and it's not natural it, it's better than like uh like with tally and mass effect like once you talk to her once you get that big new line of her saying this profound thing and you leave and you come back the next after the next mission you oh, oh well, she gonna have something new and it's not it's the same thing she said last time this doesn't do that as bad and it feels better and honestly Baldur's gate 3 does it too I, i'm not trying to hit on Baldur's gate 3 it's one of my favorite games this year, if not my favorite. Um, it does relationships and conversations and stuff really, really well. But it's still, I remember when I was playing through it the first time and even the second time, you you never, you don't want to miss anything. So you constantly check in with, with the characters, especially love interest. But by doing that, you realize that the big uh, progressions in their relationship or, or the things they say are pretty far apart. And so if for every four or five times that you interact with that character, hoping that they have a new thing that you can progress your relationship with them, they literally say the exact same thing they said last time. Where was Starfield in this relationship, at least in my experience, it's more, it's a little more dynamic than that. And it's especially interesting because they actually did. I had initially talked about how the reactivity of the conversations in the romance and outside of it with the other members of your group. Um, didn't feel very reactive, but by the end of the game and after the end of the game, quote unquote, uh, I'm wrong. I was wrong. 
Um, it's not super reactive. It's not the most satisfying thing in the world, but you absolutely get surprised. And I have all the way to post credits, the things that people have said, my love interest and others about the end of the game, about the, when I did roll credits and uh, some choices I made or didn't make. And, um, and I've been surprised multiple times, um, to the point where, um, I think more than anything, uh, no one expected a Bethesda game to have a satisfying romance system. And I can see why a lot of people have maybe dabbled in it and, and was like, yep, this sucks. I'm not going to do it because I never did it before in a Bethesda game. But this one, I think it's solid. I think it's extremely impressive. I don't know if it's like groundbreaking, but I definitely think they've done some things well. And I think they've done some things better than some of my favorite games that have romances like Baldur's Gate and Mass Effect. So I just... um it, it's it's an interesting thing I, I'm, I'm hoping more people come around on it and maybe like actually take it seriously and try to get into it uh to, to be able to experience it and, and maybe have a more nuanced take than most of the ones i've seen so far uh, i plan on doing a whole video about it and comparing and talking about how the the mass effect relationships uh baldur's gate 3 and starfield and how i hope that moves forward with all games but especially the next mass effect so be on the lookout for that uh, the gameplay, uh, especially as I've gotten into the late game, is it's just still a lot of fun. I, I love shooting things in this game. I love trying to like find environmental things that can help me out. Um, I got to the point basically where I found this like particle shotgun that is just, it, it looks cool when it shoots and the way the marks it leaves on the environment and, and how powerful it is. It's just so fun. So cool. And um, just really enjoyed that. And then New Game Plus. So New Game Plus is almost impossible to talk about um, without spoilers. And so basically what I'll say is that you can get up to New Game Plus and, and there's um, story things happening where you choose to do a thing or not that drastically impacts what's going to happen with your with your game. And what happened with me is I chose to try it out and I, and I like, I like the idea and I think I'll go to it eventually, but I didn't feel like I was done with that playthrough and you can go and you can, you can choose not to do game plus a uh, new game plus. And when, when you choose not to do it, the characters, your love interest and the world reacts to that in a really cool way. And so if you're playing through the game now and you, come to the end of the game and and you're maybe not feeling quite ready to do what it wants you to do and even if you are i think that there is some value in going back because you can always still go and, and they make that clear you can still do the new game plus even if you initially don't so um, I, I think i've kept that pretty spoiler free um but i think just for some of the interactions it's worth going back even if you intend on going again and they even talk about that the game it's a good game the romances and the relationships and the writing are actually a lot better than people are giving that credit for and i will die on that hill and now i'm gonna take a little break be right back and we're back now if you're watching the video version of this you may notice a few things have changed we had a little issue last night around the time I was recording this and after the break, I had to take an actual break. So it also appeared I had forgotten to use the proper uh, recording template. Uh, so you're going from full screen me to the bonfire version of me. So now that that's explained, let's move on. The fourth story I have this week is uh, just kind of how I feel about Mass Effect, um, especially the next game after my little journeys with Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield. It's it's interesting to, to think about it because um, these the three franchises and the three uh, you know, sets of games themselves are all generally related, right? Like they're all RPGs in some capacity. But they almost couldn't be more different if you consider that. They are all games that have such different goals in the experience they are trying to provide. 
where Mass Effect is trying to provide this pretty linear um, and, you know, it's it's an older game, of course, so it's not trying to do the same things, but a more linear, um, a little bit more focused, um, a more black or white. Uh, you know, if you do this, this will happen. If you do this, that will happen. Um, and, and it's great for that. Mass Effect is still a, um, an incredibly uh, good experience these many, many years later. And so my experience with Baldur's Gate um, and Starfield hasn't impacted my outlook on the trilogy. Um, it has kind of impacted how um, I'm looking at the future game uh, and what I'm expecting from it, because I don't think you can just, you know, I, there's another conversation to be had about the way that Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield are being compared. Um, I won't do that this week. But I think it's important to recognize um, what devs are trying to do and that not every game is trying to do everything because they can't. Um, the, 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 the examples of games that, that have tried to do everything um, are, you know, it, it leads to a list of, of games that failed at doing that. And so I don't necessarily expect now that the next Mass Effect game is going to copy and paste all of the best things that Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield have done. Um, and in fact, uh, even the creator, you know, the owner of the studio, I think it's Sven uh, from Larian, who made Star uh, Baldur's Gate 3, has even said that like our timeline, our engine, our, the goals that we had for this game and the things that we did sacrifice are unique to us. And it just so happened to result in this wildly fun and interesting experience that you can have with Baldur's Gate 3. But, you know, all of this talk is mostly amongst consumers who don't know what they're talking about, about how it's a new standard and every game should try to be like Baldur's Gate 3. That it's just not realistic because it isn't. Um, the next Mass Effect will not be the next Baldur's Gate 3. Um, but especially because we know the next Mass Effect game is still in pre-production, there is still plenty of time for the developers of that game to be inspired um, by Baldur's Gate 3 and to be motivated and excited by it. Um, and in our Discord, we were having a discussion about this and how I, I don't expect any other devs to try to make Baldur's Gate 3. For various reasons. <clears throat> but I do think you're going to see developers who play that be like, oh man, this studio reached for this. Like they, they reached and, and they and they succeeded. So in our project, we should reach. And while it may not be for the same goals, you know, we we should, you know, pick our lane and go as hard at it as they did with their lanes. And, and that's and that's what I th I'm the most excited about is is that a game like Baldur's Gate 3 was even willing to do some stuff that you would have probably been told commonly oh that's a bad idea um, and, and they made it work because they went all in on it and, and I think you'll see that from other games and then with Starfield it's an interesting experience the, the way that um, they present, you know, space traveling and this big open galaxy and stuff like that um, is something that I think the next Mass Effect can take, you know, inspiration from as well. I don't think the next Mass Effect is going to have a thousand planets. I don't think it's going to do um, some of the things that Starfield has done. But the way that Starfield has found a way to have really fun gameplay, to have um, interesting characters and side stories that matter and really good environmental storytelling, just like we would always expect from a Bethesda game. Um, you know, all of those things, I think, uh, you know, developers of the next Mass Effect can look at. Um, I, I talked about it before during the Starfield section, you know, that the romances are surprisingly good in Starfield, or at least aspects of them are. And I would really hope that that that's another thing that the next Mass Effect can kind of take from, um, you know, it's 
when you're having a discussion like this, um, you kind of have to ignore the, the faults when you're talking about how a, how a game is going to be inspired by other games and, and what it may take from them. You you never just want to say, I want them to copy and paste this or that, um, because devs don't really do that. You know, Breath of the Wild was one of the most influential games of, you know, the last generation. And there were a couple examples of games that just straight up tried to copy it. Uh, the, the Phoenix Rising game specifically from Ubisoft. But for the most part, I think Breath of the Wild's biggest impact was just that it inspired devs. Um, I, you know, you don't see every game with destructible weapons and, you know, with, with weapons that wear out. You don't see every game have, you know, two thirds of its lines not voice acted. Um, you know, like it's, you didn't see too many, at least big, well known games straight up copy Breath of the Wild. And I think it'll be the same with Tears of the Kingdom. Um, but you saw, you know, a, swell of excitement and inspiration, I think, from those games. Uh, and, and you will continue to see that. And I think it's going to be the same for Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield and all of these wonderful games that have come out that have come out this year. So I, I've seen, you know, some reactions, especially on the Mass Effect subreddit of people being like, you know, talking about Baldur's Gate 3 and, and maybe even Starfield to a point. People are still coming around on Starfield. I it's weird. I think it's a, a fantastic game that should get a lot more credit than it's getting. But there is a there's this notion that it's like a competition and that, you know, the, they always have to try to one up each other. And I'm sure there is some gamesmanship like that, even amongst devs and stuff. But for the most part, they are all just trying to make something that matters. Um, video, the video game industry is a weird because it's an industry where the people on the front lines are all artistic and inspired and want to make something beautiful and meaningful. Um, but only a few steps away from them in the corporate ladder are people who only care about money, especially if you're talking about big AAA uh, uh, studios and their publishers. And uh, I, I think, you know, even amongst like film and music and TV, uh, you know, video game development is unique uh, in the way that that is treated. And so I think it gives people, you know, concern about, you know, Mass Effect and Bioware, uh, especially Bioware's recent issues with their layoffs and seemingly that team's getting kind of pared down. And, um, you know, I think some people are even concerned about whether Mass Effect will come at all. Um, I hope it will. I hope it's greatly inspired by a bunch of these amazing games we've gotten this year and in recent history. Uh, especially Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield. Uh, story number five, uh, the Division 2 PTS for Year 5 Season 2 is out. Um, the most notable thing is that they are not testing the new incursion uh, that is going to be coming with this uh, new bit of content. Um, for the Division, uh, in the Division 1, there were no raids. Um, so you typically have raids in these big MMO games or even games like Destiny, which is, I think, the game that, at least in my experience, is where people take raids the most seriously and get the most excited about them and such. Um, uh, the Division 1 had no raids, and it was a big ask that people wanted in Division 2. While Division 2 came out, they released two raids. I suspect they meant to do many more than that. But the two raids, in my opinion, were duds, ended up not being the big splashes they hoped they would be, uh, mostly because the first one was so hard uh, that a bunch of people, especially notable people in the gaming sphere um, tried it and like never got past the first part of it. And um, I, I think it ended up actually being kind of a net negative for the game. Um, and then with the, you know, with both raids, there were accusations of people who finished them had insider knowledge and that maybe there was some cheating going on. And, and the, the, the particular people who were involved in all of that were maybe not the, uh, the most upstanding of the divisions community. And so it was kind of a, you know, I, I think raids were a, a good idea for Division 2. Um, I think they ended up being a bad idea, though, as time went on. Um, the difference between a raid and an incursion, the raids in the Division, at least, are eight-player activities um, where you have to have two teams that are pretty well organized. 
the incursions were just a standard four team uh, or you could solo them if you wanted if you wanted to try um basically mini raids uh, in the division one and in my opinion uh, I think if we would have gotten four or five incursions in the Division 2 that were maybe even more complicated than the, the Division 1 activities, it would have been really good for the community and for the player base where the raids, in my opinion, ended up just being like a vanity project for the developers um, to try to appease this you know 1% of their creator base or the people who were basically super destiny fans who wanted that same experience in the division ignoring the fact that you know in in the destiny raids um the destiny's lack of a realistic aesthetic or um like gameplay the fact that you can have magic basically and you can jump around everywhere and mess with gravity and all of that all of those things factor into how much fun people have with those raids and the division having its you know grounded aesthetic and and kind of you know at least attempts to keep it realistic looking and performing made it much more limited and i think really hurt the raids in the long run um i think these incursions you know incursions would have been a better idea in my opinion especially in hindsight uh but we're getting one and so that's really exciting uh but there's very few details about it yet and this pts this test server will not reveal more uh in the test server they're i think they're basically uh, testing out a bunch of new um gear and i think some weapons and some other stuff uh i i've seen a lot of discussion about pvp uh, i just i still think that's just a a pointless road to go down. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot of motivation on the developer side to make PvP better. And I think we are still yet to see a single looter shooter do PvP well in any way, shape or form. Uh, the, the best one that has done it is Destiny. And, you know, it takes 10 seconds to look up and see how satisfied that community is with the PvP in that game. And uh, I, I just think it's a fruitless uh waste of time and development uh resources but looks like they're gonna try to do it again uh i i think that uh community is insatiable um i think the people who are left who still care about pvp in the division two uh are, are just there because they like being mad i, I don't know <laughs> it's a very confusing thing but it's always been a very interesting thing to pay attention to uh, over the years uh, in other division news, uh, Division Heartland uh, does not seem to be coming uh, until 2024 at the earliest. They put out a video recently talking about how much they appreciated um, everyone who did the beta test and uh, all the feedback they've gotten. And then I believe we're basically said, and we can't wait to tell you more next year. <laughs> um, uh, for full disclosure, the Division Heartland is a game I've been involved with in ways um, for multiple years now. Um, I, I can't say much about it, uh, for, you know, multiple NDA reasons. Um, what I can do is give my opinion on what's been shared publicly though. And, um, I really think the division heartland, no matter what kind of game it is, um, it, a, a spinoff free to play game really needs to ride hype. And I think the issue they're going to run into is that, you know, the Division 2 came out four plus years ago. And I think there may have been an environment two years ago where there was still new content coming out for Division 2. People were still hyped for it. It was exciting. And um, I, I think that was a time frame where the, the Division Heartland could have feasted, could have done really well. And they honestly probably could have pulled back some of their development resources on Division 2 if they had the spinoff out there doing new stuff being done by a completely different studio uh, in Redstorm. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, or various reasons, uh, we're now looking at Heartland may not come out even five years after Division 2. A Division 3 is nowhere in sight and I know that some may think like, well, this would be a good like holdover until Division 3 comes out. I, I think for the remaining Division community, the people who still play the game, Heartland could be that. It could definitely be that holdover. The problem is, is that um, we, we have no idea how big the player base actually is. It's probably bigger than most think, but I bet it's not enough to sustain a brand new free to play game that 
has been in development for a long time, uh, like longer than it probably should have been, uh, AKA it's probably been very expensive to develop Heartland. And with a free to play game, you're not going to get those, those, that initial boost of sales. Uh, you're, you're hoping people buy cosmetics and battle passes and stuff like that. And for that model to work, you need a huge influx of players. And my thing is, is I don't think the division IP is in a position right now where people are so excited about it that you're going to have millions and millions of people just clamoring to get into Heartland when it comes out, even if it's very good, even if it's a great experience um, that is a little different from the regular division games and has, you know, elements of games that are popular right now uh, or were two or three years ago. Uh, Heartland is an interesting thing. I, I have faith that Redstorm is going to put out a good game, like a fun game and interesting title. Um, I just think that the longer and longer this game goes from when Division 2 released, the, 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 the potential player base is only getting smaller and smaller. Um, maybe they can market it really well. Maybe they can pull in a bunch of people who played the Division 2 the first year or two and then dropped off. And maybe this will spark a bunch of those people to come back because a lot of people played have played the Division 2. I think it's over 20 million right now have bought it or played it or whatever their metric is that they use that looks the best. Um, but I just um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's an interesting thing to pay attention to. Um, I admittedly about a year ago gave up on being excited about the game coming out because we have no idea when that's going to happen. Um, it's not because I don't think the game's going to be good. I think it's going to be great. Um, but I think that at some point you have to stop being hype about something that, you know, you, you, you have no idea when it's coming. Now, that's obviously coming from someone who makes videos and is, and is excited about the next Mass Effect game, which could be four or five years away. You know, like I understand there may be some hypocrisy there, but I think it's almost the fact that Heartland seems like it's not that far away, but it still could be is, is what's the most uh, frustrating with it. So we'll see. Uh, the final story here is talking about the podcast. Um, so ads are changing. Uh, the way that Spotify works is that for the last year ish, um, Spotify has given me ambassador ads. So whenever you if you hear an ad on this show, it should be for uh, Spotify for podcasters, which is it used to be called Anchor. And it's a hosting website for a podcast. It's what I've used for like four years now. Um, and it's been great. I've really liked it. Um, and unfortunately, their their most recent uh, requirement to have an ad was to have 250 unique uh, listeners a month, which I have uh, pretty handily. So the new requirements are that you have to have a thousand unique uh, listeners. I, I don't. Um, so while I had plenty for the other one, I'm not even halfway for this one. Uh, so um, I, I'm still kind of undecided on what to do about ads. Um, I, I'm probably just going to get rid of them. I've never made much money on them anyways. Um, I would rather push people towards the Patreon uh, or towards Twitch to sub or hopefully soon YouTube for membership and stuff like that. Um, honestly, the best way, if you want to throw a few bucks my way, help me keep upgrading this setup, which is only getting better and better, um, is Patreon, honestly. Um, so I think I'm probably just going to stop doing ads entirely uh, because I, the Spotify has an ad system I can use, but it, it doesn't pay anything and I don't have I don't make much revenue from it in the first place. And then um, I, I can't concede. I like the ambassador ad because I know exactly the ad you're going to get. I know it's going to be me talking about Spotify for podcasters. If I do the other ads they have, they're automated and I can narrow down the categories that they can do ads from. But it could be for anything. It could be some wacky political stuff. It could be some stupid like I definitely don't want IGN or PC Gamer or, you know, uh, GameSpot having ads on my channel because I don't support those organizations. And so um, I'm probably just going to dump the ads entirely. This podcast isn't really big enough to justify ads anyways. And I'd rather find other ways to uh, if people want to support the show uh, to do uh, to do it in that way. So. Um, just as a heads up on that, I'm probably getting rid of ads sooner than later. And um, I, I don't like that that removes a benefit of Patreon, but I don't think many people are on Patreon. Uh, it really care about that anyways. It seems like it's just people who want to support um, kind of my whole deal here. So uh, and I appreciate that. 
So uh, the other thing is the 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 day the podcast release. Um, I was trying to do it on Monday mornings because if you look up best day to release podcast, um, all of the websites say it's actually Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday morning. Um, but I think this podcast has released on Saturday for so long. People are just used to it that when I switch to Monday mornings. Um, in theory, when a lot of people should be seeing it, um, my numbers actually dropped and uh, dropped a fair amount, actually. So basically, um, uh, my plan is to still record on Friday, Fridays, probably Friday nights uh, often um, release on Saturday mornings and just do that from now on. And uh, as someone said, I think in on Twitter said, uh, thanks for not holding uh, the podcast hostage anymore. So, so that's where we're at. All right, uh, we have some listener questions this week. If you have your own questions, be sure to use the Google form questionnaire to get into the Discord and ask or in the YouTube comments uh, or on Twitter at Bond Diesel or at The Bonfire. Uh, you can submit questions, topics, uh, and so on. This week, we have a question from Cage Nephilim, which I actually forgot an episode or two to put on. And it says, uh, what do you think the chances are that this N7 day we get something concrete and not just a tease to reassure fans about the future of Mass Effect, especially after the layoffs? Um, I, I still, well, there's, there's two things. Um, I think that we are going um, to see them try to reassure us after the layoffs i think uh, whether it's like a video of like uh either like the C the head of bioware or um mike gamble or someone just to get a face on a screen and talk about what's going on and, and how they're feeling about everything um so i think that they will try to do that but i also still don't think that one that they're, they're still in pre-production they may not have enough concrete stuff yet to like really say stuff to reassure us and two um i still think that there's the factor of dreadwolf and that they don't want to take too much attention away from that the argument to that own to my own point though is that they aren't really advertising dreadwolf at all i would still argue we know more about the next mass effect game than we do the new dreadwolf and dreadwolf is probably coming out in less than a year and the next mass effect is probably four or five years away <laughs> so it's like one of those weird things where it's um it, we just um i i don't know like I think the biggest thing we could possibly get this in seven day 2023 is maybe the subtitle like mass effect whatever it's going to be called because i don't think it's going to be called mass effect four or five the people having that debate are silly and the people perpetuating that debate are silly um it's not gonna be called either of those things especially after andromeda uh i, I just i i don't think they'll call it mass effect four uh, for various reasons um but i think you know mass effect blah 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 like whatever the subtitle is going to be that would be the biggest news i would expect this year as well as more concept art maybe another little teaser video or audio like we got last year um but i just i suspect that mostly because they're probably putting all their efforts in the dread wolf right now that maybe we, we shouldn't expect the world with this in seven day but every in seven days so far, since I got into the game back to 20, basically 2021, um, has been interesting, uh, has, has, has shown us stuff that I've been able to talk about for roughly the next year. So, um, I have moderate hopes that we'll get some cool stuff. I think the best case scenario is a subtitle for the actual, the actual game's name. Uh, and, but I, I think that. 2024 would be the 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 first show i think where we make it some like significant info uh because by then hopefully dreadwolf will be out uh pizza morgue asks uh, will the 100 quid premium early access thing become the norm i felt like when ea tried to do this a few years ago there were lots of pushback but this year it feels like every major release has done this um this is talking about how um doing like the early access uh, where you like the games are 70 bucks now. And if you pay an extra 30, you get some like special cosmetics or whatever. Plus, um, you get to play the game a week early or whatever. Um, that's been popular for a really long time at this point. Uh, I remember division two was like that. You could pay for the, 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 the premium edition or whatever. And it had, um, and, and it had that the, the few days early, I think it was like three days early access, which a bunch of people hated because, if you 
if you consider the division a, a competitive franchise, which you probably shouldn't, um, you know, it gave people a head a, a boost, uh, which was lame. But um, I I don't remember EA. I, I'm sure EA did it. Um, but anything EA does, people are going to push back on. Um, I, I think it's already become the norm. Um, I, I think it's been the norm for like five years. <laughs> I, I feel like m- most games have been doing this for a while now, um, especially if they have any kind of live service function at all. And um, and I don't care at this point. I'm so over um, the, that whole conversation of, you know, that, that they're obviously doing it to make a little more money. And OK, um, I think that with a game like Starfield, it's unique. Um, it being uh, on Game Pass and being a first party Xbox game. Um, they did the same thing with Forza Horizon 5 that had an early access uh, purchase where you could play it a few days early. And if I remember correctly, they sold like two and a half million early access copies, which was insane for that game. And I paid for it, too. So I got the game. I didn't pay the 70 for the game because that was through Game Pass. But I paid 30 to get it early and get some cosmetics or something. And they got me. And if you think about it, that, you know, they, they, they're depending on the people having that so either you buy the game straight up you pay the 100 bucks for it um or the 70 but you know 70 plus 30 and you get early access but what what the early access does is it still monetizes the people who are paying the subscription who are technically paying like 16 bucks a month um but you hope that they stay on and that's a different conversation but then you if you can get that 30 dollar pop from them uh for basically free i mean there's cosmetics and a couple of these early access surely doesn't cost that much more development time or resources um that's an easy way to make back half the money that the person didn't pay for the base game but if the person stays on game pass for an extended amount of time you get more than the 70 you missed out on right so it's the so i I think it's actually a really unique thing and honestly it's a a worse deal maybe for for game pass people but it's still enticing like for me playing starfield early was a given like i that, that wasn't even a question in my brain of like yeah i'm gonna pay 30 bucks to play it a few days early and in fact i had beaten the main story of the game uh before the actual release now i'm still continuing that main story and i still haven't done everything i want to do uh, and i'm like 60 or 70 hours in but yeah, I, I think the $30 premium for early access, uh, especially for Game Pass titles, is not only uh, the the norm already, but will be pushed really hard. Uh, I think every single major uh, first party Game Pass game is going to have early access because it's an easy way for them to pull in a few more dollars that they wouldn't have got if they just depended on Game Pass. So. Um, I, I morally or whatever, I, I'm kind of in the middle on how I feel about it. Um, but you know, business doesn't care. <laughs> so, uh, and then YouTube's, uh, had kind of an extended question here, but here's the pared down version of it. Um, could we be seeing more, um, Bioware leaning on other EA studios specific expertise to elevate the next mass effect, similar to need for speeds, uh, involvement in, uh, the Nomad and uh, Mass Effect Andromeda to help with its driving. Uh, what's another feature that could benefit from other e- another EA Studios involvement based on what they've already proven? What are things that you feel should absolutely remain in-house and Bioware should spend their own resources iterating on? Um, I, I mean, I think if they have more, ve- if we have vehicle movement in the next Mass Effect, having help from the teams from the need for speed teams and stuff like that i think again wouldn't be a bad idea um i think the driving of the nomad is one of the things that most people wouldn't hate on and most people i think enjoyed including myself um i I think respawn could be such a huge resource for bioware when it comes to the gameplay um i i think that uh whether you're talking about Titanfall 2 or the Jedi Survivor, you know, series, the Jedi games, um, the, the gameplay in both of those franchises, one being a first person shooter that emphasizes movement and the other being a third person, mostly melee combat game uh, that was like uh, one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is I think that Star Wars Jedi Survivor is one of the best platformer games ever made. Um, it's so satisfying and it's so good. And it has a skill, you know, there is a skill level there and oh, it's so good. And so 
while I don't want the next game to have our Mass Effect uh, protagonist doing wall runs and stuff necessarily, um, I think that respawn would be an insane, absolutely wild resource for them uh, to, to utilize and be able to um, improve the next game with. Um, kind of a weird example, though, will also be um, hoping that they do ask for and get help from Epic uh, with Unreal Engine 5. Uh, it's not uncommon for the uh, developers of an engine to have teams that go out to specific studios and help out. Um, I believe even like, like Ubisoft Massive and their Snowdrop engine, um, I've heard that they've even taken... Um, you know, that they'll even send people out because multiple Ubisoft studios are using that engine now and that they'll send out teams. I believe this was common as well with DICE, um, with their uh, Battlefield engine and with um, Frostbite um, and how, you know, for many years, EA was using that in all of their games. Well, they would have like little strike teams that would go out to those studios and help them out uh, with any issues they were having with that studio. Um that said, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I still think Respawn's the best example there. Um, and for what they should keep in house, I think that's going to be like narrative and like the uh, story and lore side of things. Um, I, I think that that's going to be pretty important for them to keep in house, even if uh, they've had tons of turnover, even if there's a lot of new people there. I think Mary DeMarley um, kind of being. Uh, in charge of all of that, uh, as well as a bunch of the OGs from the studio uh, to kind of keep that uh, feeling will be a good thing. Um, yeah, so thanks for those questions. They were great, uh, great questions. Uh, I'm excited to uh, get more of them next week. And uh, that's where I'm going to wrap this thing up. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback or thoughts, please let me hear it. Uh, and all of the ways I've said that you can get in touch with me before. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, including on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, <laughs> and Twitch, where I try to stream a couple times a week and we can chat live. If you want to support my content, uh, check out patreon.com slash Bond Diesel. Subscribe over at Twitch, especially if you have an Amazon Prime sub, uh, or check out my merch in the link in the description below. That's all I have for this one. So until next time. I'm